0: Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
1: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam! Is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy
0: becomes
1: reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. It's
0: the most wonderful time of the year. It's snowing outside here in New York City, but more importantly, it's Tears Week. Welcome into fantasy baseball today on Monday, January 17th, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. How are we doing, Chris? So, you got a new tattoo this weekend? I
2: did get a new tattoo. That is number four in the last fourteen months. That's, it's it's quite addicting when you get one. Um, this one is a, uh, uh, from the Star Wars Rebels show. It's the Fulcrum logo, for Ahsoka Tano because she's my favorite Star Wars character. Mm. And um, you know I just got to make sure that I leave it alone this time because I didn't let it heal last time and I had to get that touched up this weekend. So that's a tip. If you get a tattoo, it is an open wound. Don't touch it.
0: Chris, there is a non zero chance that I get a tattoo next weekend because I'm going away on my bachelor party to New yeah. Orleans. Uh and I don't know what's gonna happen. I'm not really responsible for what happens. I guess that's up to the people that I'm with. But there's there's a chance. There's a chance that it happens. I used to be Do allergic it. to ink when I was a kid, so I don't it seems like not a great mm. idea. Maybe I need to get like a test or something first, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. How are we doing? It might Scott? not work
3: out for you. <laughs> it might not. I mean, uh, yes. Are, you, are you, do you? Do you want to make that many lifelong commitments that close together, Frank?
0: Yeah. I mean, why not, Scott? You only okay. live once. How you doing? Uh, lots of people <laughs> looking forward to the position tiers as they do every single year. Uh, and today we're going to focus on the corner infield. We've got first and third base. Kind of look like opposite ends of the spectrum so far this year in terms of just breaking down the positions. But what do you think, Scotty?
3: Oh third base is a disaster i don't I don't even know that you could put anything on the same spectrum as it opposite end or otherwise um these are both these these both both of these positions really are kind of their own thing. first base is uh top light i guess compa- okay. especially especially compared to like shortstop and second base but yeah very de- like First base is loaded with players who can fill out your corner infield spot late in a draft, you know? Or if you play in a deep league, like there, there's plenty of first basemen to go around if competence is all you're looking for. If you're looking mm-hmm. for studliness, not so much.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely fair. Third base, we've talked about it plenty. I'm sure other people have realized at this point as well that third base is uh, pretty shallow. There's not a lot of. Uh, Studly talent up at the top. I think you could say the same thing for first base, but first base is is actually pretty deep. Chris, when we're talking about tiers overall, how to use them in a snake draft versus a salary cap draft? What would you say to that?
2: It's just mostly it's all all about knowing where the most value remains or the most you know viable players in in the part of the draft that you're at. So if you you know, if you're picking sixth and it's the seventh round and you've got, you know, three really good third basemen left and only one good second baseman left on your list, you take the second baseman now because the third baseman it it's not guaranteed that they'll be there, but they have a better chance of being there. So it's mostly just about trying to optimize the way that you approach the draft at each point in the draft. That is basically the biggest way to do it.
0: Scott, I think when discussing tiers, I often think of them uh, about think about them as players who are projected for similar overall value. Not necessarily that they're going to do the same things, but just overall mm-hmm. output maybe by the end of the season. And I think specifically for salary cap slash auction drafts, you might want to jump in on a position tier earlier rather than later because as that tier starts to dwindle down, you're going to mm-hmm. see the last player in that tier is more than likely going to go for the rest of the players in that tier because people realize they know like, okay, the talent is drying up.
2: Simple supply and demand. That's, yep. I mean, that, what, what you often see is the first player in a tier will sometimes go for way less than he should. And then people will be like, Oh no, now we have to end. And so that'll happen. But sometimes that first player goes for way too much. Mm-hmm. And so it's always a balancing act. Um, uh, but I, I think you actually asked Scott.
3: That. Yeah. Maybe that's why people confuse, you know, sometimes people confuse the things we're saying. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, no, I, it, you kind of have to approach it reverse. You kind of have to use the tiers almost the opposite way in a in a salary cap league where you're auctioning off players. Just wanted to get that in there in case people didn't know what a salary cap league was. Um you almost have to do a reverse approach tiers written in reverse than that, than in a snake draft where snake draft, you're trying to aim to get the last player in a tier, you know, last second to last, you know, when it's close to completion and then, and then a salary cap draft, you might, um, you might want to jump in on the bidding in one of the earlier players in a tier, but you know, it's tempting not to, right? If, if you got a tier of six players and it's, you know, the bidding, you feel like it's getting kind of high on that first guy. You're like, oh, well, there's five others I can turn to. But then the same thing happens with the second guy and the third guy and mm-hmm. the fourth guy. And pretty soon it's like, oh, geez, that last guy goes into, ends up going for $10 more than you were expecting him to go for. Because everybody knows. Everybody knows. So... Yeah, but, they're they're harder to use in that format. Everything's harder in that format, right?
2: Yeah, because every every draft's going to be different, and and right. that, and obviously that's true of all stake drafts. But what you'll often see too is the last guy in a tier will just last for the next fifty nominations. Nobody will put him up, and then all of a sudden you end up with a big steal on that player if nobody has money left. So that, that's another thing that happens, and so that's why it's hard to to give. Specific advice about salary cap slash auction drafts.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a good point, Chris. I mean, I think people know that that's the last player in the tier, and maybe that's like they don't want to throw that player out because yeah. they know he's going to go for more money than everyone else from that tier. I think as a general rule, in a snake draft, I probably want to wait until the last player of a tier or second to last player. Make sure I get that player. But in a salary cap draft, maybe I want to jump in in the middle. Maybe not the first player, but second, third player in a tier uh, before, you know, that starts to dwindle down a little bit. Let's jump into first Mm -hmm. base overall. And we talked a little bit about the positions overall, but let's, let's do a little word association. So Chris, I'll start with you. When I say first base, what is the first word or thought that comes to your mind for that position?
2: Power. I mean that's that's the the big thing and that's always been true of first base. But you know there there are the elite players. Your Freddie Freeman's, your Vladimir Guerrero's, maybe Matt Olson if you know he can sustain a lot of the gains that he made last season. Um, but you'll just you'll never have trouble finding home runs and RBI specifically at first base. And then that's slightly less true of third base, but it's still pretty true. And so you know you can either weight on first base and get, you know, one of the cheaper power uh, and RBI guys, or you can reach up for the true four-category guys. There are really only four-category studs in, in uh, at first base. Um, and so that
3: was one word.
0: <laughs> Scott, first base, we're association. Go.
3: Yeah, I was going to say mashers, so basically <laughs> the same thing as Chris. Um, you, you know, you get, you get a lot of high... OBP guys at first Mm -hmm. base too in formats where that matters, which, you know, kind of matters in every format where runs are scored. Right. Um, so it's, uh, you know, slow footed powerful, sometimes patient guys and, uh, not a lot of diversity within the position. You know, you might find some guys who lean more toward batting average than home runs, uh, but not that many.
0: All right, so let's start with the elite tier at first base, and that includes two players, Vladimir Guerrero, who has an ADP of 4.7. By the way, this ADP comes via Fantasy Pros. Their ADP for 2022 is up and running, so if you want to follow along, that would be fantasypros.com slash MLB ADP, and that includes right now... Uh, RT Sports, the NFBC, and Fantrax. So an average of those three websites all combined right now. Vladimir Guerrero, an ADP of 4.7. Freddie Freeman, an ADP of 17.7. So typically uh, Vlad is top half of the first round and Freddie Freeman you know, maybe sneaks in late first, but probably more so an early second round pick than anything else. And I don't want to focus too much on breaking down the players per se because we'll have our position previews where we'll you know focus more on that probably more so of a strategy discussion here. Uh, but Scott, you make these tiers. What do you think about this, uh, this first tier here, Vladimir Guerrero, and then your boy Freddie Freeman, who we still don't know where he's going to play going in the early second round.
3: Yeah, we still don't know where he's going to play. I don't think it makes that big of a difference with him. Um, but I mean, you know, Yankee stadium, if he signed
0: with the
2: Yankees, that would be it would pretty be great.
3: dope. It'd be great. He he hits a lot of balls the opposite field, a lot of home runs the opposite field. But you know, he, he's going to put up huge numbers no matter yeah. where he lands. He's not gonna he's not gonna go anywhere that moves him ahead of Vladimir Guerrero, and I don't think he's going to go anywhere that drops him a tier um, behind Vladimir Guerrero either. So, yeah, this was one of the easiest tiers really to put together because um, I mean Vladimir Guerrero is, you know, if you're not factoring in speed. He's arguably the best hitter, the best hitter in fantasy now. And then Freddie Freeman, of course, has been who he's been for close to a decade probably, right? And uh, very little slippage during that time.
0: Vladimir Guerrero hit 311, 48 homers, 111 RBI, 123 runs scored. He was the number one overall player in Roto last season. He averaged four fantasy points per game, which was by far the most at the first base position. And uh, finishing as the number one overall player in Roto with just four steals. I thought that was pretty interesting for Vlad. That is
3: interesting, yeah.
0: Yeah, he yeah, just like, provided so many counting stats. That's what it comes down to. I mean, over 230 yeah. runs plus RBI, that is just, that is outstanding.
2: Yeah, that, that offense just created so much volume, and he, he missed just one game. And yeah, that's, that's huge. He was more mortal in the second half, you know, 905 OPS. But like, you're splitting hairs there. He's awesome.
0: Yeah. Chris, would you rather have a top half of would you rather use a top half of the first round pick on Vlad, or would you rather have a back half pick and then take Freddie Freeman in the second round?
2: Yeah, like I I think if you could end up with Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman, that would be better than Vladimir Guerrero and whoever else you might get in the second half of the first round. But that's because I think Freddie Freeman is just, you know, kind of an awesome value in the second, you know, really around the midway point of the first second round in the 12 team league like that that just seems like a a really really advantageous price and i think it's partially because you know he only hit 31 home runs last season he only drove in 83 runs i don't think that's going to be an issue like he is basically a perfect hitter like every he does everything incredibly well there's really not anything he does as a hitter and he'll occasionally steal bases you know he he's got eight to ten stolen base upside he's done it two of the last four years and obviously one of those years was a partial season so
3: uh, by, by the way yeah. 83 rbi you mentioned he, he also scored 120 runs yeah. He yeah. Led the nl in runs so and that's you
2: know. second year in a row that he's led the nl and runs scored
0: oh yeah that's true
3: isn't it yeah yeah I mean, he led the majors
2: and run scored last year in for, 2020
0: the near elite tier let's move on to this next one matt olsen with an adp of 33.7 paul goldschmidt ADP 48.7, Pete Alonso at 56.3, and then Jose Abreu at 68.7. And Scott, you point out in your article that Jose Abreu is one tier lower in a points league. Something we've been saying since the season ended, Scott, was Matt Olson and Pete Alonso have done the old switcheroo. So last year, I didn't want Pete Alonso where he was going because I don't really like paying for you know home runs and RBI in a... In a Roto League, I, you know, if I'm using an earlier pick on a hitter, I want batting average or steals involved somehow. Uh, and I think that's kind of the case now for Matt Olson. And you're getting Pete Alonso, who's a very similar player, two rounds later. And that's the same thing we were saying last year where Alonso was going earlier and Matt Olson was going later. So now that more ADP is starting to come together, it's very clear to me that Pete Alonso is just a much better value.
3: Well, yeah, and I mean, that's that's what the tiers are. That That's partly what they demonstrate, right, is you're going to get basically the same outcome from all four of these players Al- alonzo and olson maybe being the the most the t- the two that are the closest to mirror images of each other it's understandable why people myself included would have a small preference for olson i mean he 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 cut his strikeout rate down to 16.8% which is you know he went from being a strikeout prone player to Basically a contact guy who hits home runs with that kind of strikeout rate. But also Alonso, to a lesser degree, kind of moved in that direction more himself. Mm -hmm. uh, 19.9% strikeout rate for him. It didn't seem to improve his stat line to the same extent it did Olsen's, but I don't think you can predict things that finely to say that, okay, Olsen is just a better player now and... I expect mm-hmm. better numbers from him, you know? Yeah. And it,
2: it doesn't seem like Alon or yeah, Alonzo had to sacrifice power for those contact improvements. No. You know, it's not like he had a higher barrel rate in twenty twenty one than he did in twenty nineteen. His average exit velocity was higher. His max exit velo has been right at one eighteen point three three straight seasons. So there I, I think we could see a uh, a delayed breakout from Alonzo and, and you know his expected woba was 376. It was 373 in, in his rookie season. And that was in a league where the average Wobo was 320 compared to 314 last season. So, you know, in, in that context, he was arguably better than his really, really good rookie season.
0: And don't get me wrong, I, I still like Matt Olson, and In a vacuum, I'd rather have Matt Olson over Pete Alonso if they were going at the same ADP. That's just not the case this year. Mm-hmm. As great as Matt Olson was in 2021, he did slow down a little bit in the second half. Seems like maybe due to some bad, bad luck, the strikeout rate was still really strong in that second half for Matt Olson. But he hit two fifty seven with an eight seventy eight OPS over the final three months. Pete Alonso went on the IL in the middle of May with a sprained right hand. He returned on May 31st. From that point on, he hit 270, 31 homers, in 893 OPS over 115 games. That is a 40-homer pace over the course of 150 games. So, nearly a full season. I usually don't project 162 games because it's not realistic. A lot of players don't do that at this point, but... Pete Alonso was actually better over the final three or four months than Matt Olson was. So uh, yeah. yeah, give me give me the discount there on Pete Alonso. Well, can, can we throw
2: you. Pete Alonso's 2021 season in everyone's faces when they mentioned the home run derby curse? Because <laughs> he got a lot better after
0: the home run derby. But um, but Chris, I, I don't me Otani.
3: I think people <laughs> need to believe in. Certain people need to believe in curses like that. So I, I don't. I, no matter how much evidence you offer to counter it, I just, I just don't think it matters to them. I, I did not want to say for Matt Olson though, like, what if he goes to the Yankees?
0: Oh, geez.
2: Right. Oh, what if he gets? No, actually, what, weren't they talking? No, they were talking about playing him at a different position, right? Wasn't that one of the rumors?
0: No, no, that, no, that was, was Matt Chapman. That was oh, Matt, Matt Chapman. Chapman. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's a good point that you bring up, Scott, because it, it seems almost certain that Matt Olson is going to wind up somewhere else because there's all this talk about how the Oakland A's are going to go into a full rebuild and, and they want to get as much value out of their, you know, viable MLB players as they possibly can. So whether he winds up with the Yankees, which seems like a real possibility, if Freddie Freeman signs somewhere else, there was talk that the Braves could trade for Matt Olson. I wouldn't rule out the Los Angeles Dodgers because they've been linked to Freddie Freeman as well. So yeah, all three of those teams, I think would be pretty damn good for uh, Matt Olson, regardless. They're well, uh, by far better ballparks than where he currently yeah, plays. Yeah, they would
2: all Oakland. be improvements. And I think yeah. that's one of the things with Matt Olson is if he stays in Oakland, I don't think you can just expect a a you know, higher batting average than you know, even the 271. Like That might be close to what the highest you could expect from him just because of the park he hits, the home run, the fly ball tendencies, all of that stuff. I think it's going to make him a low Babbitt player. He has a 275 Babbitt for his career.
0: Scott, quick thoughts on Paul Goldschmidt and Jose Abreu. Abreu is going 20 picks later at pick 68.7 in ADP right now. They're both a little bit older. A resurgent season for Paul Goldschmidt last year
3: yeah and to the I don't know to what degree we buy it. I have quite a bit of skepticism myself, but Paul Goldschmidt could be one of the few first basemen who does make a reasonable contribution in the stolen base category. He was 12 for 12 last year, and of course he back in his prime, he had a three year stretch with the Diamondbacks where he averaged more than 20 steals a season, so it didn't come out of nowhere for him. It's not especially fast, but 12 for 12. I mean, why do you? Why do you stop a guy from running when he has that kind of success rate? Right. So, um, you know, mostly I'm buying him for his bat, and you know, he he showed signs of decline prior to last year, the the two years prior to that. But I mean, you see where the numbers where they are. It, it looked like it looked like prime Goldschmidt again. So um, I don't know. I, I I think he belongs in this tier. He's not one I'm going to be especially enthusiastic about drafting, but. If he ends up being the last guy left, then that's 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 uh, that's what the tears are there to uh, you know, sometimes sometimes the tears make the decision for you.
0: And if you want to read more about Jose Abreu, you can head on over to CBS slash fantasy slash baseball and he is part of Chris's Bus 1.0, which I read the oh other man. day. And I feel like he's been on that list for, I don't know, three or four straight two, seasons. Two Chris. straight years, I would say. <laughs> uh, um. But yes, if you want to read more about Jose Abreu, then you can find out there. Uh, if not, then wait till our first base preview where we will break down all of these players uh, more in depth on that podcast. The next best things tier, and this is where we see a big drop in price. And this is what tiering the players together is all about. So I mentioned... Jose Abreu's ADP in that last group, 68.7. This next group includes Joey Votto, CJ Krohn, and Reese Hoskins. They're all going outside the top 135 picks. So think about that. It's like a 70-75 pick difference here, where Votto's ADP is 154, Crone 137.3, and Reese Hoskins down at 149. And Chris, I think if you wait at first base, these guys aren't... I don't think that they're going to be difference makers. I guess Joey Votto still can because he showed it last year. It's mm-hmm. you know Obviously, he's getting up there in age. But you know, I would I would feel okay. That's the way I would put it. Okay if I wound up with one of these guys as my starting first baseman.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is where you start to see the the all-or-nothing kind of power guys. So it's really – there's not that many guys who provide four-category potential. You know, even Jose Abreu, he's really only like a plus in – two categories at this point in his career probably unless he you know has another 2020 season but um, Votto is the one in this group that I think could be potentially a four category contributor I know his average wasn't great last season but you know he the way he bounced back for as a power hitter does make me think that there's still you know the potential for like a actually not that much different from what Paul Goldschmidt did last season I could see him hitting 290 with 35 plus homers
0: Yeah, and uh, you mentioned bounce back in the power department. Chris, he actually did something he never did before. 297 isolated power was a career high in his age 37 season. We're talking about Joey Votto, who is likely, in my opinion, going to be a future Hall of Famer, and he just did that again at age 37. So 51st overall player in Roto, 3.4 fantasy points per game that was tied for fourth at the position with Paul Goldschmidt. He hit 36 homers. 19 players hit 35 or more. He did it in the fewest amount of games, 129. So he sold out for power, yeah. but he's mm-hmm. kind of just like one of those advanced hitters where he found a way to make it work. And I'm not really going to doubt it as long as he could stay healthy. I think well, that's... Well, he f-
3: called it. I mean, yeah. that's that's what um, I think helps me to buy it more is he deliberately changed his approach to get more power and he predicted what the results would be and, and, and that's what they were. And actually, it started late in... In uh, in 2020, and I know yep. kind of the whole season was late, but he was batting 204 with three home runs. Um, what was that? 32 games into it. And then his final 28 games, he hit eight home runs. Uh, so, you know, that that's when he first changed up the approach, and that's when we first saw this new power emerge. And... We, we were all kind of high on him last I know Chris and I were anyway were you were you on on board with him too Frank as uh I as
0: I don't a, I don't remember being higher on him than the consensus so I'm I'm just yeah. going to rule myself out of being included That's there
3: That's fine. Um even when he got off to a slow start we liked a lot of the underlying changes he mm-hmm. made so uh what the underlying numbers showed. So yeah, I'm It's kind of surprising that he's still going as late as he is. Yeah. I I was kind of tempted to tier him with that higher group with the Olsons and Alonzos and Goldschmidt's. And, you know, part of the reason I have to split the baby with Jose Abreu and and put him a tier lower in points leagues is because I genuinely prefer Votto in points leagues to Abreu. Mm -hmm. Um, So I can't tier a player higher that I don't prefer in that format, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I I get it. I, I think you just kind of have to bake in some risk just because of the age and the yeah. fact that, you know, he's missed time. He was on the IL last year, and it seems like he's usually good for at least one IL stint per season, but it's still a really good ballpark to hit in. We'll see what happens with the lineup. I think, you know, Nick Cassianos more than likely is going to be off that team, which... Mm-hmm. You know, will overall affect his RBI and and run outputs uh, in 2022. CJ Cronin and Reese Hoskins are the other names in this tier, but I want to move on to the next one, the fallback options, which includes Max Muncie, Jake Cronenworth, Ryan Mountcastle, Ty France, Josh Bell, and Jared Walsh. Now, Scotty, I got a bone to pick with you, and I wanted to ask oh why? Why didn't? Why couldn't Josh Bell be part of the previous tier? Because I feel like. He's a very similar player to someone like CJ Crone, You know, a 270-plus two, hitter, 26 to 30 home runs, something like that. If I feel like those are all kind of similar players. So why not Josh Bell in the previous year?
3: Yeah, I think you could make that case. Um, I think CJ Krohn uh, has the potential for an even better stat line in Colorado than the one he had last year. So that's part of it. Part of it is Josh Bell. He's played enough games with my heart that I don't entrust him entirely. I don't trust the Nationals to use him right entirely. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I think if you're an optimist, you can put jo- Josh Bell in that higher tier. I, um, I'd rather treat him as more like a sleeper, I guess. Where's his ADP relative to these other guys? Is, is it is it in the same range as like Krohn and Hoskins? Uh, he's above. He's higher than Joey Votto, isn't he? Uh, Yes.
0: Yeah, so Josh Bell's going at 144, just mm-hmm. behind CJ Krohn, just ahead of Reese Hoskins, 10 spots ahead of Joey Votto. So really mm. in that same exact price range.
3: Okay. I may need to look at that. I may need to think about that some more. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of giving my defense for why I have not ranked where... I, I rank him because, you know, I put together my rankings before there was any ADP. And then I have to design the tiers around my rankings, obviously. Uh, And maybe I just, maybe just my initial ranking was too low. It feels like a college football kind of thing, right?
2: Uh, (laughs) One thing that you can say in Josh Bell's credit is he is the only first baseman in either of the first, well, I guess. You don't get a first baseman who's multi-eligible until the fourth tier, and then it's him, Muncie, all these guys, really, except for Walsh, right?
3: Well, he's not multi-eligible on CBS.
2: Oh, he played 10 games in the outfield last year, right? right.
3: Yeah. Yeah, we need 20
0: over on CBS. Yep, yeah. yep. So. Yeah. But he could get there. Yeah. he he. Uh, I, he could, I mean, I don't... I think he was just hitting so well towards the second half of the season that they were trying to find a way to get his bat in the lineup any way they could. And with the universal DH coming, I think... You know, if they're gonna do that, they're probably That's just fair, gonna yeah. play him at DH or, or first base. So, I would uh, I would put some doubt on the outfield, but I think if you play in Yahoo, he will have that eligibility. So, I guess keep that in mind. Uh, it was a really slow start for Josh Bell last year, from May first on. However, 279 batting average, 25 homers, and 865 OPS over the final 129 games. Max Muncy, we spoke about recently. He is in this tier, obviously dealing with that UCL injury. We still kind of need to wait to get more information there. Jake Cronenworth will have first, second, and shortstop eligibility on CBS. I think more likely is you'll use him as a middle infielder. That's just kind of my early takeaway. Uh, we talked a lot about Baltimore recently, moving the left field wall back, and it was a big topic of conversation on Twitter this weekend. And uh, Ryan Malcastle looks like you know, we probably should decrease him in in value because of that. Mm-hmm. The one name we haven't really talked about here, Chris, is, is Jared Walsh, who I think the Jared Walsh optimist will also argue that he might need to be in that previous tier based on what he just did last year, 277, 29 homers, 98 RBI. He was really good, and that was without Mike Trout and Anthony Rendon in the lineup for a lot of the season.
2: Nah, I don't think he needs to be in a, in a tier above. bob. I think if anything, <laughs> he's probably one of the easier fades in this range just cuz he was great last season, but he really overperformed his expected stats and you know, that's not gospel. That doesn't necessarily mean he will continue to under overperform. It doesn't mean that he's going to drop, but you know, 357 woba versus a 325 x woba. That's a pretty significant difference, that's going to be one of the bigger ones among everyday players and so I just I think we probably got a you know really really good at case scenario, not maybe not the best case scenario for Jared Walsh last season, and I think regression is almost certain
3: with him
0: all right, yeah, he does hit a lot I, of ground balls and he struggles mightily against lefties as well. Go ahead, Scott
3: yeah, I wanted to mention I actually have Walsh. A tier lower in points leagues. And, and Ryan Mountcastle, too. Those are the two from this tier who would tier lower in a points league. So, yeah, um, they, they might be the two I want least from this tier. And I'm, I'm happy to be apart from the consensus on that.
0: All right. The next one we have here is the last resorts. I think at this point we're talking more about corner infielders and and maybe utility bats in a points league or something at this point, but that includes Brandon Belt, Luke Voigt, Frankie Two Hits, Frank Schwindel, Yuli Gurriel, Alex Kirilov, Tyler Stevenson, who I think obviously many people will use him as a catcher, Uh, Anthony Rizzo, DJ LeMayhew, who can be used at second base, and then Trey Mancini. Scott, who has the highest upside of this group, the last resorts tier?
3: I mean, it's got to be Voight. He let the majors in in home runs in 2020 and uh, has uh, since joining the Yankees, I believe I I actually calculated this for my Sleepers 1.0 article that came out late last week. I I believe his OPS since joining the Yankees is over 900. And, you know, there are a couple years last year included where injuries kind of derailed him, but when he hasn't been dealing with injuries he's been money mm-hmm. and as if the yankees are willing to to back him completely he could he could move up two tiers here i don't i don't see why i want to tier him with with the cj crones and reese hoskins of the world it's yeah. the reason he's this low is because um, because they haven't haven't done that and a lot of people assume they're going to go out and get a Matt Olson or a Freddie Freeman or whatever whoever else to upgrade first base. He was
2: one of the be- easiest buys for me in 2020 cuz it was so obvious that the hernia injury that he had in 2019 like that was when he stopped hitting. He had like a 900 OPS until that point and was on pace for over 100 RBI. And then he was an easy fade last season cuz he was probably not going to hit the 52 or 55 homers that he was on pace for. And now he's a pretty obvious buy as long as it looks like he's going to play every day. I would, If they do sign someone, hopefully he gets traded because uh, he's someone I'm going to have a lot of in the, in the later rounds.
0: Yeah. I, I would say it's over a 50% chance that the Yankees bring a first baseman in. So I don't know if that means that he's leaving in that trade or if they're trading Luke void away for something else. But I think the writing is kind of on the wall because they traded for Rizzo last year and, you know they were okay, uh, really down the stretch, just benching Luke Void. He, he really didn't get a lot of playing time uh, in that latter part of the season. The deep leaguers here we have Jonathan Scope, Miguel Sano, Jesus Aguilar, Bobby Dahlbeck, and Nate Lowe. Uh, it's a pretty, <laughs> pretty underwhelming group here. Nate Low, I still have some hope for here, Chris because the Texas Rangers lineup got a lot better. Obviously, they bring in Semien. They bring in Corey Seager. I think he was solid last year. He obviously was not spectacular. If he can lower that ground ball rate just a little bit, I think we can get you know mid-20s home runs with some pretty good counting stats. So uh, Anyone catch your eye here, the deep leaguers tier?
2: I mean, I think all of these guys, like maybe Miguel Snow has one of those seasons where he puts up a 360 BABIP and can be useful, but... For the most part, no, I think this like Nate Low Nate Lowe is probably the most interesting one. Hazer Sagilar, I think, is a I don't I mean I don't think you need to say fade because nobody's really on him, but his RBI numbers last season seem really, really unlikely to repeat. Um
3: so, I do yeah. I do feel like all these players are usable though right i mean jonathan scope who's also eligible at second baseman he was my second baseman for the majority of the year in the in the podcast league last year the 12 team points league where i I had the highest scoring team even though i didn't make the playoffs but i had scope as my starting second baseman for most of the year and you know he's usually good for 20 plus homers uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, I believe he hit 25 home runs last year. So, this is you between this tier and the previous two. You know, that last tier you mentioned was very long with Yuli Guriel and, and uh, Trey Mancini, Frank Schwindel. Th- this is really where you see the depth at first base stand out because you could make do with these guys as your first baseman, you know, if they're healthy and playing regularly. And there's a lot to choose from.
0: Nate Lowe, also known as Nathaniel Lowe, I I actually think that's what he goes by now. Uh, He had eight steals last year, too. He was eight for eight, did not have a single-caught stealing. So I wouldn't expect that type of efficiency again, but Texas does like to run, so you might get some oddball, out-of-position steals here from Nate Lowe. Maybe it's five to seven, something like that, uh, by the time the season is over. The leftovers, there's lots of names here. That includes Seth Beer, Kesson Hira, Carlos Santana, Eric Hosmer, Spencer Torkelson, Tristan Casas, Lamont Wade, Rowdy Telez, Lewin Diaz, Bobby Bradley, Nick Prado, Christian Walker, and Vinny Pasquantino. There are, again, a lot of names in that
3: tier, so don't worry if you missed out on That's something. That's a long tier at every position. I just I just throw in a bunch of names that people <laughs> might care about at the end there. Yeah,
0: Scott, just say a name. Who is the one uh-huh. that you are most intrigued by in this tier? Just Just give me a name. I mean, there's uh, an
3: obvious one, right? Is there? I was I was going to say Seth Beer.
0: I was going to say Seth Beer as well, but I'm going to predict that the one you are talking about is Eric Cosmer, Chris?
3: Nope. No. Who is it? Justin Hira.
0: No. No. All right, so I guess it's not I obvious at all.
2: <laughs> Who is it, Chris? Spencer Torkelson. Uh, yeah. Okay.
0: yeah. I guess it, it just comes prospect. down to... One of the to... top
2: prospects in baseball right. just put up a 935 OPS in the minors as a 21-year-old, got up to AAA... And produced at every level. Yeah, I think uh, it's just a question of when he gets called up, right?
0: Yeah, that's the same thing that could be said for... I mean, there's a few prospects in this year. Tristan Casas with the Boston Red Sox. A lot of people excited about him. Nick Prado, same thing with the Royals. He made it to AAA last year, so could see him up early in the season. And I think that would probably just completely sink Carlos Santana's value at that point. And then he passed Quintino. He's another prospect in the Royals system, but he hasn't played at AAA yet. So I think that's maybe a little bit further down the road into the season. But uh, yeah, I think all names that you need to just remember, put them on your scout team, see what happens. The steamer projections for Spencer Torkelson, by the way, 130 games projected, 259 batting average, 29 home runs, 77 RBI. It seems very optimistic, but uh, if we get that many games... That's, a, that's within the range of outcomes for Torkelson. Yes, he is that good of a player. Before we hit the break, I want to promote a few things. Our friends over at Fantasy Football Today, that includes includes Chris, by the way, are up for the best social media award. It'll take you 10 seconds to vote for Fantasy Football Today. Just hit the link that is included in the podcast and YouTube description. If FFT wins the award, the, the best social media award, we'll give away some free free fantasy baseball today hoodies so vote now and win an FBT hoodie Again the link is in the podcast in the YouTube description help out our friends Chris Adam, Jamie Dave and everyone else who contributes on that podcast so that they can take home the best social media award the podcast scheduled for this week by the way I should have mentioned this earlier Monday Wednesday Thursday the past we've been juggling things around uh, we are off on Monday so we're not going to podcast Monday night uh, so we will be back Tuesday night. So Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday are the mornings that you will have a podcast in your feed. And last but not least, the CBS Fantasy Baseball product launch is tomorrow, January 17th. Rankings, salary cap values, sleepers 1.0 from Scott. That's actually out already. Uh, breakouts 1.0 from me, bus 1.0 from Chris, all going to be live on the site. So you're getting ready. You're diving in. You want to see the rankings. Go check that out on There's 1.0. Tuesday.
3: That's live, too.
0: All the tiers are live, and and that's why this will accompany those articles so you can follow along and, obviously, uh, with everything that we are talking about here regarding those tiers. Let's take a quick break, and when we return, we'll hit the third base position. It's fun, kind of. Not really. We'll talk about it here on Fantasy Baseball today.
1: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this, too.
0: All right, so let's jump into third base tiers. And just like we did for first base, let's start with a little word association. I threw it Chris's way first last time. So, Scott, that means I'm coming to you. What do you think? Third base, go.
3: Blurg.
0: (laughs) That is definitely a fair response, and you will find out why once we break down these tiers. Chris, you're up. Third base.
2: Yeah, I don't have anything to add.
0: (laughs) All right. We are going with... Scott eloquently (laughs) summed it up. We're going with Blurg for the third base position (laughs) this upcoming season. Let's start with the elite. Jose Ramirez has an ADP of 4.7, actually identical to Vladimir Guerrero, who we spoke about earlier. And Jose Ramirez just, he did what he does every year. 266 batting average, 36 homers, 111 runs scored, 103 RBI, 27 steals. He's incredibly consistent, has finished top 12 overall in roto in four of the past five seasons. He's also great in points leagues. He averaged 3.9 fantasy points per game, by far the most at the position last year. Scott, it's very obvious here, we have no issues spending a top five pick on Jose Ramirez. Who would you rather have, him or Vladimir Guerrero, when you factor in position scarcity?
3: I believe I rank Vladimir Guerrero ahead in both formats, Ooh. but you know, part of that is at this point I'm expecting Jose Ramirez to have just an ordinary batting average, even though he doesn't strike out much. Mm-hmm. The approach that allows him to hit so many home runs mm-hmm. relegates him to like a 260 batting average and, and Vladimir Guerrero could hit 320 or whatever, you know. Um so that, that helps make up for the steals difference. You expect even more home run output from Guerrero than you do from Ramirez. But yeah, the thing that the thing that brings it close is that position scarcity because there may not be a clearer number one at any position, especially when you're when you're factoring in Fernando Tatis' health concerns. Uh yeah, I don't I don't think there's a clearer number one at any position than there is at, at third base where Jose Ramirez you know, if, if you forget that weird stretch between twenty nineteen and twenty eighteen where he disappeared, and you just look at the final numbers those two years. I mean, every year so bankable for, for stud, stud production.
0: All right, Chris. Same yeah. question to you. Let's say the top three picks were Tatis, Trey Turner, Juan Soto. Would you go with Jose Ramirez or Vladimir Guerrero? It's really batting average versus steals. I think. So, what is it for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the power production is probably going to be pretty similar. I think you would project Vlad for more, but it'll be close. It'll be probably within five. I think is the most likely outcome um but yeah i would take vlad first um i just i think you probably give him an edge in four out of the five categories even if it's a relatively small one in a couple of those and jose ramirez could steal 27 bases again it wouldn't surprise me if he stole 21 this season so you know he he's an incredible player vladimir guerrero probably has just a a tiny bit more upside
0: yeah, especially when you factor in age too. It's not like Jose Ramirez is old. I think he's twenty nine. Twenty nine. Is he turning thirty this year? Is that I, that he
2: turns thirty in September? Midway through September. But okay. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I mean it's his it's his age twenty nine season. So he's not old, but obviously Vlad is is much younger, and you know because of that, I think. Maybe you give him a slight edge in terms of upside uh, still at this point. The near-elite tier includes Rafael Devers, who has an ADP of 18.3, Manny Machado at 26.3, Austin Riley at pick 47, Nolan Arenado at pick 64, and then Alex Bregman, who is going off the board at pick 75.7, and he is one tier lower in categories leagues, so Roto or head-to-head categories. Scott, I feel like when the season ended, we we talked about the possibility of having Manny Machado ranked over Rafael Devers and where do you kind of fall on that debate now?
3: No, I, I do give the edge to Devers, but I'm probably going to draft more Machado. Machado could give you steals. He hasn't been a consistent source of them, Mm -hmm. but he could give you some Devers probably won't give you that many. Um, but Devers seems like a better... Look, Machado could just have better numbers across the board. I mean, we've, cl- we've seen that from him before. But Devers seems like a safer bet in the pure hitting categories than Machado does. Uh, so I do rank him slightly ahead. But it might be like two spots different in my rankings. Yeah, tiers-wise, I mean, obviously they belong in the same tier. Mm-hmm. Um, the interesting ones in this tier, I think are Arenado and Bregman. Bregman, as you mentioned, only in this tier in points leagues because his plate discipline is incredible. So I think it's, it's fair to elevate him in that format. Arenado though is going quite a bit later than these other three, Devers, Machado and Riley. Uh, I've tended in, in the few drafts I've done so far to, to, to kind of round three, four turn, take Riley, just take him. So that I don't have to worry about how awful this position gets. And by the way, I, I think the tiers even kind of undersell how bad it is because there's so many risks within each tier. Um, but yeah, I usually I I've tended to take Riley at the 3-4 turn now. I, I still think that's fine, but seeing how late Arenado consistently goes, round six, sometimes round seven, I yeah, I I I think he's probably the third baseman I'm gonna end up with the most. And given that I'm tearing him with those other three, it makes sense.
0: Yeah, we talked about Austin Riley a lot recently. We did a podcast, Can the 2021 Breakouts Do It Again in 2022? And we talked a lot about the possibility of batting average regression for Austin Riley because mm-hmm. he hit 303 with a 279 expected batting average. And while he hits a lot of line drives, his... His BABIP was 368. It was third highest in baseball. So I think we just expect natural regression. Maybe Austin Riley hits 275 to 280, which is still really good. And I think it will be better than Nolan Arenado. But uh, Chris, what do you think about that conversation of Austin Riley? Scott talking about taking him at the three four turn, where mm-hmm. you might be able to wait until you know if you're if you have a late first round pick, you might be able to wait till the five six turn to get someone like Nolan Arenado. Would you rather do that?
2: Yeah, it's pretty unlikely that I'm going to draft Austin Riley. I think I would rather have Arenado and Bregman at their cheaper prices. Um, you know, I think Riley, it's one of those things where it, it just depends on if he can sustain the progression that he made last season. And he's young, he's a top prospect, he's a talented player. So all of those things are working in his favor. But it's also worth remembering that progress is not always linear. Rafael Devers is a good example of that. We've seen some ups and downs with him. I think he's a much more talented hitter than Austin Riley. So I just could see like long stretches from Austin Riley where the plate discipline just sort of swamps everything else and he can't really do much. So I I am worried about him
3: for sure. I I think the most worrisome aspect of Riley's profile, same thing for Manny Machado, is batting average. Mm -hmm. And – yeah, Arenado, he's, as a Cardinal, he's probably going to hit 260. He doesn't get that bat bit boost, puts a lot of balls in the air, doesn't get that bat bit boost he used to get at course, puts a lot of balls in the air. Uh, so, so he, you know, you, you, you know, Arenado's probably not going to help you in batting average. But if you're penciling him in for 260, I mean, I don't think Riley or Machado is a sure thing to hit over 260 either. Yeah. You know, and they're they're probably hitting they're probably all hitting between thirty and thirty-five home runs. So and that's those are the kinds of things you think about when you're putting together tiers is what what is the most likely scenario for this player? What is the upside, the downside, etc.? cetera? And I think it's very plausible that Arenado ends up with numbers that look about like Machado's and and Austin Riley's.
2: And I'll say in in Arenado's defense, it was his first time playing outside of course field, seeing players change parks, especially a park that has that dramatic of an effect. It could have just been, you know, he needed a year to adjust. Uh, I wouldn't write off the possibility that he could, you know, probably not hit 300 again. But I don't think it's like a dramatically worse chance that he hits 280 than either Machado or, or Riley. You know, I think I... They probably have a better chance, but it's not, you know, 80% versus 20%. It's probably 30% versus 35% or something.
0: Bregman in this tier, worth noting, he underwent wrist surgery in November, and he was actually just cleared to resume hitting last Friday, January 14th. So that's a good sign there for Alex Bregman. He turns 28 years old on March 30th, so he's still in his prime. Uh, So I, I would expect, you know, you don't love wrist surgery, but... I, st- I still feel okay. I feel okay about the possibility of him bouncing back in that great Astros lineup. The next best things tier, we have Adalberto Mondesi, ADP 69.7. He is undoubtedly a tier lower in points leagues. Chris Bryant with an ADP of 86. Anthony Rendon, ADP 111.7. And then Justin Turner at 152.3. And as you can see, this tier is all over the place. Yes, On CBS, Adalberto Mondesi will only have third-base eligibility to start the season. We'll see if he plays shortstop, if Bobby Witt comes up, you know how they shuffle those two guys around. Uh, Lots of steals. Can't stay healthy. He has not played more than 102 games at the MLB level yet. Again, that is uh, Adalberto He's never
2: played more than 127 games in a season ever. Uh, And that was going back to, I believe, 2013, uh, when he was a 17-year-old prospect. So (laughs) this is... You know, I I am the injury agnostic guy, but this is a guy who literally has never stayed healthy. That doesn't mean he can't do it this year, but I think he's undoubtedly the riskiest player in the draft pool. And I I don't think anybody would really disagree with that. I think he's going to be one of the most controversial players again. And there is a 0% chance he finishes in the 70th overall range in Roto.
0: Yeah, he like
2: he's either gonna stay if he plays 125 games, he's probably gonna be a top 25 hitter.
0: Yeah, or he's un- not gonna play it all. Yeah, uh, you're right about that. I mean, the upside is just tantalizing. We saw it the year before where you know it was a shortened season, but in August he hit 179 zero homers, seven steals. In September he hit 356 six homers. 16 steals in 24 games. I, I mean, it, just, if he could stay healthy, put, he's amazing, but
2: it's just put 2019 and 2020 together. He played 161 games, uh, 91 runs, 15 homers, 84 RBI, 260 batting average, 67 stolen bases. I mean, he could, that's crazy, he could steal more bases than a, a whole team. <laughs>
0: Yes, that, I'm looking at you, Yankees. We don't. They don't have a lot of. Uh, they don't have a lot of speedsters on the base pass there. Chris Bryant is fine. He's still a free agent. We'll, we'll see what he can do. Scott, I want to talk a little Sign bit with the Rockies. <laughs> Sign with the
3: Rockies. Yeah, Scott, that, that, that would, that would, would awesome. move him up a tier for sure.
0: Uh, Anthony Rendon, Scott, and Justin Turner. Very interesting. Oh. And I think at this point they probably probably provide similar things. Higher batting average. Modest power, you know, maybe, you know, mid 20s in terms of home runs is what you're expecting there. Uh, Rendon, I don't think he's done yet. I mean, he turns 32 years old in June. He's coming off hip surgery, but he has dealt with a good amount of injuries himself. So, what do you think about Rendon versus Turner? They're going about 40 picks apart right now.
3: I want, like, it, it's weird that I'm splitting up Bregman and Rendon because I feel like they've been such similar players throughout their mm-hmm. careers. Um, but I just, and I know Bregman had had a lot of issues staying healthy last year, but I just feel like the risks, especially coming back from hip surgery for Rendon are, are that much higher. He's you know a few years older than Bregman, so that doesn't help either. If I miss out on that second tier, which I'm going to try not to, but if I miss out on Riley, if I miss out on Arenado, then Rendon is probably going to be my, my fallback option, my number one fallback option in third base. Just in the hopes he stays healthy and recaptures that second round form that he's shown he's shown at times in the past. But um I don't I don't feel good about him doing that.
2: Yeah. And you know, injuries are a big concern for him because he's coming off the season that he had and the surgery that he had. But you know, from twenty seventeen through twenty twenty, he missed no more than twenty six games in any season and played at least and missed fewer than fifteen, I believe, in three out of the four. So it's not like this has been a long-standing issue for him. It's really no. he had one really bad year in terms of injuries and performance,
3: and it's I just a question to, of it. is that the start of the end? What What was the hip surgery he had? Trying uh, hip impingement. Okay, yeah,
0: it was yeah. yeah if, it, imping- if it was a
3: labrum like Chapman had, like Matt Chapman had, that would be even scarier. But yeah, Mm -hmm. hips are tough. Hips are tough. Um, Part of the issue, and and this goes for Bregman as well, is they're both the kinds of players who aren't going to fare as well with the deadened ball. And, um, you know, Rendon wasn't very good even when he was healthy last year, and I'm not sure Mm -hmm. how much that played into it.
0: The fallback options tier includes a few names that I think you're looking at for corner infield. We have Josh Donaldson, Matt Chapman, and Yoan Moncada, Chris. I want to try my best to just, like Scott said, at least get someone from the previous tier to be my starting third baseman because if I've made it this far, then that means I, I did something very wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't hate the idea of having Matt Chapman as my starter just because I I do think there's a pretty good chance he bounces back. He's still, you know, young enough that you wouldn't think it's just the end for him. Um, so and. You know, one thing that I, I don't mind if you're the type of person who's really anal retentive about setting your your lineups, especially in a daily league, is like if you could get Josh Donaldson and CJ Krohn as your corner infielders and just like any time CJ Krohn's not at Coors Field start Josh Donaldson, that would probably be a very, very profitable uh, companion. And, you know, you know, Josh Donaldson, you're not going to get a full season from him at this point.
3: But he was still pretty productive when he yeah. when he did play last year. The StatCast I mean, numbers were outstanding for him. Yeah, you never know when that's going to end. He's in his late 30s at this point, so definitely not somebody you want to rely on as your number one third baseman. But that's why this team's called the fallback options, right? <laughs> I would say I, I would agree with Chris about Chapman. And in fact, I have Matt Chapman in my sleepers 1.0. That's my that's my number two fallback option. You know, if I don't get the Riley or an Arenado, going for Rendon, if that doesn't work out either, I'm going for Chapman because he'll be another gear removed from that torn labrum in his hip. And that's when we, Buster Posey, that was, that was how he pulled that fake out where he, we thought he was done is because he needed a few years to get back to full strength mm-hmm. after that same surgery. And it happened last year and he was, he was great again, um, Chapman, you really saw it impacted in his exit velocity way, way down last year. If he gets that back up, I, I think he, he's back to being a 40-homer candidate, especially if he winds up with the Yankees, right, in yeah. the Yankee Stadium. Or anywhere else, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah O.Co
2: or whatever we call it now is a pretty bad place for anyone to have to hit.
3: I w- and it's worth mentioning Moncada. Like, the same thing could happen with him. We've seen Moncada be a high-end player in the past. He's still young enough that he could recapture it. It's not as clear-cut how he gets yeah. back there to me but it's certainly possible.
0: Uh, I'll point out with Matt Chapman, there is a chance that they kind of trade everyone away and maybe keep him still as like the focal point of the rebuild. And if they do that, the counting stats are probably going to be really bad. So just keep that in mind. You know, if they trade away Matt Olson and a few other pieces, maybe Chapman goes somewhere and obviously that would help his stock. But uh, if he remains in Oakland without a a Matt Olson type, I I think obviously that would uh, put a damper on his outlook as well. The last resorts tier... Just two names, Eduardo Escobar and DJ LeMayhew, who you are likely to use at second base. We know what we're getting from Escobar at this point. A, a middling batting average, 250 plus, 25 home runs. I think he'll likely play every day or you know, close to every day for the New York Mets. But I want to move on
3: to the... Wait, 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 wait. just real quick. The last right. resorts has two players at third base as compared to nine at first base.
0: Yeah, it's it's bad. It, there's just not a lot of even when you're talking about at least at first base, like you said, Scott. There are names that are usable, someone that could provide something later on in your drafts there. And uh, I think as we get into this next tier of the deep leaguers, there is some upside here. So I don't want to yes. sell this tier short, but it includes Ryan McMahon, A. Eugenio Suarez, Luis Arias, Patrick Wisdom, Jamer Candelario, and a former love interest of one Scott White. <laughs> Kebrian Hayes. Love no more, because I've seen some bashing oh. going on on Twitter regarding uh, Kebrian well,
3: Hayes. I Scott, can't believe what his ADP is. It's basi- He's basically getting drafted the same as he was last year, around 150th. I'll
0: tell you exactly why, Scott. <laughs> People are basically throwing out last year because of the wrist injury. They think it was solely because of that, and I guess there's a uh-huh. chance that that still affects him this year, and... A lot of the drafts that are happening now are high stakes leagues, NFBC, and you need speed. And he gives you out of position speed. You know, he's projected yeah. for double digit steals at third base, which, you know, you're not really going to get that from anyone else outside of Jose Ramirez. So those are the main, I guess, defending points yes, for Yes,
3: I got those defenses on Twitter. <laughs> I, I would say that double digit steals potential, 15 steal potential, let's say, isn't worth the hit I think he's going to give you in the other categories. I don't know that 30 steal potential is, frankly, because I'm just not confident he's going to provide much of anything in the way of power anymore. They could be right that it was all the wrist injury. It was just a season that got derailed early by that injury. He was not healthy the rest of the way, and that's why his numbers were as bad as they were. But the minor league track record doesn't support that theory. It's really just that stretch of, what, 18 games in 2020? that suggests he could be this, this great hitter. And, you know, if, if that's the most recent thing I've seen from you, you're an up-and-comer and you have some nice underlying contact skills and everything, okay, I'm willing to see the glass half full like I was last year. But when we have this much larger sample that suggests, like his minor league stats did, he's not much of a hitter, then i gotta, I got to play it more skeptically than it seems like the majority are. So that's why I have him tiered here with, like, uh, Jamer Candelario... And Patrick Wisdom, who, as you pointed out, Frank, I mean, Candelario was useful last year. Wisdom has 40 homer potential probably. He, just, he might strike out too much to even keep his job. So there, there is upside here beyond just Hayes. Uh, but you're not, you can only expect, expectation-wise, you can only expect so much from this group.
0: I will point out with uh, Luis Arias, he was featured in my breakouts 1.0 and he had a pretty i'm not gonna say big it was a very good second half where he hit 266 he had an 850 ops and he just approved improved in all the ways that you want to see lowered his strikeout rate he raised his walk rate he hit more line drives he made more hard contact he's Likely to play every day. and Remember last year, you know they were kind of messing around where they weren't playing him every day, and, and once he started hitting, yeah, they got him in there. So projected to play every day, start at third base for the Milwaukee Brewers. It's a solid lineup. I think there's some upside there, and Great it's a park. really good ballpark to hit in as well. So for all those reasons, uh, Chris, I know that someone you liked in the past, Luis Arias. I think if everything breaks right for him, We could see like a 270, 25 plus homer, you know, maybe six to eight steal kind of season, which I think would be a very, very good, very good player at his cost right now.
2: I mean, from June 1st, his 146 game pace, he started, he was on pace for 146 starts from June 1st on. He hit 261 with a 29 homer, 99 run, 83 RBI pace. Yeah. Like he, I don't know how sustainable it is. Some of the underlying numbers don't quite back it up, but yeah, he's, He's absolutely someone I would love to draft. And I'm struggling with Ryan McMahon. Uh, And uh, we don't talk about defense much in fantasy sports, obviously, because it doesn't matter except for, you know, supporting pitchers. But he was worth 22 fielding runs last season, and that got him to a 4.0 wins above replacement, which is by far the highest of his career. Mm -hmm. If that falters, like if he takes a step back defensively, if he regresses – I think he's at the point in his career where he's not guaranteed an everyday job.
0: He is you because know? he's on the Rockies, you know, Chris. <laughs> I mean, I they just... Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Even if they had a great prospect, I'm sure they would just keep running out Ryan McMahon and his... You know, But he's
2: also the kind of guy that, like, if he happened to get traded,
0: <laughs> oh, I don't would, think yeah. he would
2: be fantasy relevant at all.
0: No, he wouldn't. You're absolutely right about so, that. I mean, like many I mean, Rockies. He has never had a,
2: a league average OPS plus.
0: Yeah, no. He's never...
2: Yeah, like, he's... A pretty bad hitter outside of the context of course field.
0: He he was a solid hitter last year. I give him credit: two fifty four, twenty three homers, eighty runs, eighty six RBI, six steals. I mean, that's that's an okay player. I mean, that's a usable corner infielder. So I, I don't want to sell him short. He he had a solid season. and Completely changed the launch angle and the batted ball data. So you know, if he continues to go down that path, then then maybe we could see even more from Ryan McMahon. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's a good point that you bring up. Uh, the numbers were
2: pretty pretty ugly after. April, though.
0: So. I know. He had like a good first month or two, and then he, he yeah. basically fell off. The leftovers will quick, quickly wrap up here. Lots of names here. Alec Bohm, Josh Young, Jose Miranda, Kevin Biggio, Evan Longoria, Mike Moustakis, Jonathan VR, Gio Urshela, JD Davis, Luis Araiz, Abraham Toro Hernandez, Brian Anderson, Carter Keboom, Josh Harrison, John Birdie, and Jake Berger. He's got some prospects in this tier. Pretty interesting. Josh Young, Jose Miranda, Um, just give me a name, maybe your favorite sleeper of this group.
3: I'm going to say Josh Young. I think he could push for a job in spring training. I'd like his chances more if he was on a team with a chance to go somewhere. But, uh, you know, him and him and Jose Miranda, both, if we hear a lot of buzz about them in spring training, they could, they can move up quite a bit in my rankings.
0: I've done, I'm, I'm about to complete my third draft of the off season and i have young josh young on one team i have jose miranda on the other so especially in like these deeper best ball or drafting holds they are players at third base that i'm targeting later who i think do have some upside chris just give me a name a favorite sleeper here or someone that you're enticed by in this leftovers here
2: uh alec bohm i, I like the the idea of taking him with a bounce uh, with a late round pick as a bounce back candidate the underlying numbers aren't great overall, but there are enough enticing things there. I mean, the average exit velocity being 89th percentile is a big deal. So that if he puts things together, uh, he could, I think he could still be a starting caliber player. And also want to point out it's spelled like the Swiss psychoanalyst, Carl Jung, not Y O U N G. <laughs> that is <J-U-N-G>. correct. <laughs> if you haven't come across the name, he has a prospect. Some people may not know. They hear you True. say young. They're going to be like, Where's this Josh Young guy? (laughs) J-U-N-G.
0: That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, probably something I should reveal to the people as the host of this podcast, but that's why you're here, Chris, to help me out. So Josh, J-U-N-G is the name there, third base prospect with the Texas Rangers. We're going to wrap there for Chris and Scott. I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Wednesday with the middle infield tiers. We will see you then. Bye-bye.